0: Well, I thought since uh, Mike's not here today, he's in another state, I would do something a little different. I thought maybe we'd start a new religion this morning. I don't know how many of you are up for that. Uh, no, we won't make it a new religion. That would be too much, right? We'll just do a little, let's just add on a little bit to Christianity. We're just going to add on for a moment. Um, you know what? I think what we're going to do is from now on, we're just going to have a faith that is based on our ability uh, to to do things well. You know, we'll just, uh, just say, you know, uh, what matters is that, that we're good. Uh, it matters we're good. Uh, we will study all the best books. We will find the finest minds in the world to come up with the most sophisticated and interesting thoughts about how we can live our life. Uh, you know, we won't have to worry with a lot of the old trappings of faith. We'll just... Uh, We'll just learn our way through it, right? Uh, we'll get better and smarter and stronger all the time. I don't see any, I, I just don't see any takers right now. <laughs> um, you know, because I mean like the faith, we, it, it, sometimes there's parts of our faith and parts of what I preach that I, I, I get a little, that's a little hard for me. This has really been a tough sermon for me. I thought maybe we'd make up something new, make it a little easier on me. I'm sure you'd be okay with that. Or maybe you'd, you, you, maybe you'd rather me at, attend to what the Bible actually says. Because sometimes what the Bible actually says is, you know, sometimes we can preach words and, and, and they are inspiring and uplifting and encouraging, and, and it's awesome. You know, sometimes we, we get to the part of God's holy and inspired word and it's confusing. And here in Corinthians, we get to that. It, Paul says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us being saved, it is the power of God. You know, I wish we could preach words that really dovetailed well with our culture today. That we could say them and people would say, that's great. They would think so highly of what we teach and what we preach. They, They teach only good things in that church the world around us might say. You know, we would preach a message that would make us socially acceptable and would help each one of us in our desire to climb the social ladder of respectability. But I suspect there would be something missing. I think what we would have to get rid of to preach a message like that is the cross itself. We'd have to do a little bit of remodeling in here. Do you notice how it's centered? We have the cross on our communion table, the cross on the pulpit, the cross above the organ and in front of the stained glass window. Uh, the cross and the message of the cross is at the center of our faith. Maybe some of you, I look around and you are wearing around your neck necklaces in the image of a cross, a sign of our faith. I grew up in a church we had a cross even bigger than that cross that hung in the front, in the center of our chancel area. And so sometimes you and I might be forgiven if we forget the scandal and the stumbling block of the cross. That Paul says, reminds us here, that for Jews it is a stumbling block. That word is a scandal. For Greeks it is foolishness. It's because you see, the cross was not a piece of jewelry. The cross was an instrument of execution. And it was no ordinary instrument of execution. I want to remind you that today the cross, the main goal of the cross, you may or may not know this, the main goal of the cross was not that someone would die. Did you know that? That the, the point of the cross, the point of crucifying someone, was not solely just so you could kill them. There are other ways you can kill people that are much quicker and much more efficient. The cross is very slow and very painful. The cross wasn't even designed so that it could inflict maximum punishment on the person being condemned. No, the cross, the point of the cross, was for those who passed by, was for those who passed by to see the power of Rome. Rome. For you see, it was only the Romans who could crucify, and we think in our minds sometimes that when Jesus was crucified, it was in kind of an out-of-the-way private place where maybe only family and friends could witness it, but nothing could be further from the truth. The Romans crucified in public areas, in open spaces, next to roadways where as many people would pass by as possible. And they would see, when they looked up, someone who had dared to oppose the powers and principalities of the world. They would see, hanging on the cross, someone who the government didn't want around anymore. The powers of empire. How many of you remember, and I think you have to be a little old, my age or older, you might remember the movie Gladiator, about 15 years ago. Now, if memory serves, that movie did not have a happy ending. Do you remember how that movie ended? It ended with the slaves in the failed gladiatorial revolt. They were captured and they were crucified, hanged on the cross for hours and days, side by side. And that was based on a true story. And historians tell us that when that happened, they crucified men one after the other on the road to Rome for 17 straight miles. So if you were traveling to Rome for 17 miles, all you would see and hear and smell were dying men. And you didn't go at 70 miles an hour in a car. You went three miles an hour, for, so for six straight hours. And friends, what would that tell you about your ability to oppose the Roman Empire? It's not so good. You could be next. And also, but you might not be next, though, if you were wealthy or you were a Roman citizen. They had other means of execution. This was for the lowest of the low. The Romans called it the punishment of slaves. But yet, it was this. It was this cross that these earliest Christians said Oh, yeah, that guy we follow, the one who we consider a God, he's someone you executed on a cross. Can you believe that? Can you imagine living in an ancient world that is based on honor and shame and telling someone that the center of my life, of my being, of my commitments is someone who was executed in the most painful and embarrassing way possible? But yet, that was the message of the early church. It was a message that the earliest, uh, that the pagans in the early, around them in the early church thought was completely out of their mind. This was someone who was a, a criminal, not a messiah. And so many of the Corinthian, people in the Corinthian church, they were finding that a lot of people gave them a hard time. Especially a lot of those who were well off. And in Corinth, it was kind of a place where, in, for the ancient world, there was a lot of social mobility. And so some people, and this was rare in the ancient world, but happened in Corinth, who were born poor, could be rich. Even those maybe freed slaves. And so these people, as they became wealthier, and they surround themselves with wealthy people in their community, these wealthy people said, what kind of people are you? You follow this strange superstition about a crucified man? And so Paul finds a Corinthian church that they kind of brought in some other teachers to kind of dress it up and, you know, kind of play down all that business of the cross, make it a little more palatable to the culture around it. And I think sometimes as the church, we have a temptation to do that too. Uh, You know, we want our church to be approved. We are dismayed the way in which Christianity seems to be held in disdain by the culture around us. That the message we preach, it's out of date. And so a lot of Christians, they say, well, a lot of people say, well, let's just, we'll dress it up, we'll make it sound better. I heard someone once tell me that the, modern, the definition of evangelism in the modern era is trying to make the message, tweak the message until it gets to the point when we tell someone, their response is, well, that's what I've always believed. But that's not what Paul calls us. Paul calls us to something far more difficult, to embrace the truth that you and I needed more than fancy words and good actions. Because you see, if we start a new religion based on that, the problem is we'll eventually fail. The problem is that as hard as we try to be good enough, we always find that we can never get there. And so God provided a way In Jesus. And so in Jesus, when He came to earth in full holiness of life, He came, and the only response of the people was, We gotta get rid of Him. That's what the people in power said. He's threatening to us. And so they put Jesus to death. And what we find is that he's betrayed by one of his best friends. We find that he is put on a show trial with a predetermined outcome. He is mocked. He is beaten. His clothes are stripped off of him, and he is and gambled with dice. And he's nailed to the cross. All the powers and principalities of the world and of, and of the enemy of God pressed down upon Him. All of our sins, all of our failures came down upon this one Jesus. It was to the world the look of defeat. And it looked like death had won, but three days later was Easter and Jesus rose from the dead. It looked like all the powers of the world, all the powers of Rome that could crucify men for 17 or 1700 miles if they wanted were no match for the power of God. And that was the message Paul proclaimed. Foolishness to the world to those who are being destroyed, to those who are passing away, but for us who are being saved, for us who can know that this was the only way our sins could be forgiven, it is the power of God. And friends, that runs against all our desires in our life for respectability in a hostile culture. You know, this week, I, and, and, you know, I, I'm one of them. You know, I, as a pastor, you know, I, I want to, you know, I think, you know, there must have been the good old days when pastors were respected cores of their community. You know, where it was like the ta- little towns in New England you go to where right at the center was the beautiful white meeting house church. And we think, well, that's, that's a problem. You know, and I, as a pastor, I... You know, I I was very uh, concerned this week. I read an article on Facebook that, which is always true, you know, uh, (laughs) that said um, that the Barn Institute did a poll that only 8% of Americans care what clergy think of social and political issues. I was really crushed by that. And so I'm gonna withhold because apparently none of you care. uh (laughs) A uh, very few of you, I appreciate that. You know, and, and I want to be like you know, the one who goes around and wears the long robes and is greeted in the marketplace. I think Jesus said something about that. I don't think it was good, though. Look it up, do me a favor, look that up this weekend. And what I find is that when I follow someone like Jesus... all my desires to be socially respectable and prominent, they just can't matter that much. He talks about the people in Corinth. He says, you guys who are trying to be powerful and mighty, don't you remember not many of you were noble and well-born and powerful? So what are you doing? the life that god calls us to live in jesus is not a life of seeking respectability and self and wealth and you know impressiveness but somehow we have a jesus who calls us to take up our cross And to follow Jesus just might mean following in a way that the world sees as foolish. And history is littered with these great Christians that when it came down, the choice between their personal advancement and the mission of God and foolishness to the world, they chose the latter. Think of St. Paul, the apostle, other than Jesus, probably the founder of our faith, A great leader in in the faith of Judaism went to the best schools, was advancing, Paul says, far beyond his peers in Judaism. But then Jesus got a hold of him on the road to Damascus, struck down by a blinding light, and his life changed. Instead of advancing in society, he went to preach the gospel and all of us who are not of the house of Israel here today are descendants of that changed life. Instead of advancement, he suffered beatings and mockings and floggings and stonings and shipwrecks. And he said, yet in, the, in one of the great verses of the Bible in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Christ. And it is not I, but Christ, who lives in me. I think of the founder of our United Methodist Church, a man named John Wesley. He lived in England 300 years ago. He had a position as a professor at Oxford University, was a literate and educated man. He had a comfortable life, even in the midst of a world of poverty. But yet, something about following Jesus led him to say to give up the the prestige and the perks of a cushy professorship in favor of preaching outdoors to coal miners and to those who did not feel comfortable coming into a church. For John Wesley, the message of the cross was foolishness to the world, but to him it was the power of God. I think in our own, in the last hundred years, of someone like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the greatest Christians of the last century, a German theologian and pastor, who dared to work against Hitler and the Nazis, who when he was offered opportunities to leave Germany and flee for his own safety, he insisted on remaining and resisting Hitler Did you know, and Bonhoeffer died in 1945 in a Nazi concentration camp. I was touched this week by what Bonhoeffer wrote. He said, the cross is laid on every Christian. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. To follow the kind of Jesus who is nailed to a cross means to be get out of our comfort zone, to lay aside our life for ourselves, and offer it up to the God who gave us life to begin with. In our own day, I think of my friends Tim and Jennifer Goshorn. They're one of our missionary families that we support in this con- that you support in this congregation. They lived in, I knew them when, uh, we both, when I served in northern Kentucky. They were members of another church, the Asbury United Methodist Church in Highland Heights. And Tim had a great job. They had a little farm with a beautiful home, and they had kids that were just uh, in high school. And at that point, they saw that to follow God meant that God wanted them to move from their home in northern Kentucky to a ro- remote part of Peru. Can you imagine that? You know, 15 years from retirement, giving it all up and moving to another country without any salary, having to raise your own salary. Because they knew that the message of the cross is foolishness to the world, but to those who believe it is the power of God. And you may sit here and you say, hey, those are people, they did really big things, you know, resisting Nazis, preaching in the coal fields, going to Peru. I don't feel like that's me, you know. Can I do that in my everyday, take the kids to school, go to my job, deal with my coworkers and boss kind of life? And maybe some of you are being called to something extraordinary, to leave here and go somewhere else. And for the sake of the gospel to give up what you have. But you know, so all of us can be, all of us can be people of the cross, people of foolishness where we are. To be somehow cross-centered and is to be the accountant who is willing to lose their job instead of cooking the books. To be a cross-centered person is to be willing to stand for righteousness even in a culture that wants to push it down. To be a cross-centered person is to embrace Christ and the message that Christ gave himself up and went against the powers and principalities of the world rather than us acquiescing and giving in. There's a lot there. It's a difficult calling. But it's the sort of calling that those of us who follow Jesus have to not be part of the world that is dying but to be part of the new kingdom of God that is entering the world and will come one day in final triumph. Today is the day. Now is the moment. For Christ calls and asks you and me whether we're in. Are we willing to follow Jesus all the way to the cross? For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us being saved... It is the power of God. Let us pray.